0: You have your Bibles tonight and you would open them or turn them on to 1 Kings chapter 2. If you came tonight with thin skin or emotionally weakness, you are not going to be happy. And I am sorry for that ahead of time. But tonight as we come to 1 Kings chapter 2, we have been doing a series on leading in a broken world. How you and I can be godly parents, grandparents, co-workers, how we can have godly influence in a society that hates God, hates the things of God. I don't know if you've ever watched videos of people in these big cities or college campuses trying to share the gospel with people in the crude and vile things that they scream and yell at people for just telling them triple truths that God loves them, that Jesus died for them, the, the vile wickedness and foul mouth and the anger and the hatred. Then, on the flip side of that, it has even slipped into our churches under the umbrella of liberalism, liberalism. that you know, you know certain, certain teachings of Jesus, of Jesus are the only ones, ones that matter. matter. So, for instance, we're going to be leading hard liberals who, who have, have no, no truth and then all pushovers all the time. They'll, They'll say things like, like well, well, Jesus, Jesus always, always said, turn the other, the other cheek. You're right, as an individual. We, we are, are to turn, turn the other cheek. Jesus, Jesus said, that if your, your brother, brother wants your cloak, give him you your tunic or your undergarment. And absolutely, as individuals, we do that. We get on the, get the very flip side of that. that. The Bible says it's my responsibility a as the husband of my home, to, home provide to provide and protect for my, my children. children. And so and there, there has, has to be some, some balance, balance with how do I manage money, money in God's way, way when the Bible says the borrower is slave to the lender. So am I supposed to borrow and give to everyone in need and then... Go broke myself. But those, those verses, verses don't matter. And when, when you read the Word, word of God, God, you have to understand, understand that many verses are written to individuals, and, and we apply them for our individual, individual life. Some, Some verses are meant to be looked at from the government standpoint, how the government is supposed to operate. Some verses to the church, how the church is supposed to operate. And so, and so if you're not, not careful, careful you'll, you'll say things like this. Well, the Bible, the Bible never says that unrighteousness should be punished. Mm-hmm. And, and so, so, why why would you ever penalize anyone for breaking the law? Now, now you're starting, starting to see why some of you, you who probably aren't in this room, room tonight, tonight, but will watch this at, at a later date, will be extremely, extremely happy with me. me. And so, and so we, we see a whole society of people that, that says, "In Illinois, especially, you, you can, can do whatever, whatever you want to whoever you want, and, and don't worry about, about the consequences of your sin. You can be, be out the very same night that you've done it." There There's is no, no reason, reason to, to, be to be punished for your crimes. Your crimes.
1: <laughs> but but tonight, tonight, what we're, we're going, going to look, look at is what many people, especially those
0: who hold a liberal perspective of God's word, says these are one of the problem verses in the Bible. How could a loving God, a merciful God, say David is a man after his own heart, but then yet David gives Solomon instructions to put to death someone who had wronged him. And so if you look at that verse and you say, well, David was just being vengeful. No, the Bible says that vengeance belongs to the Lord. But he wasn't seeking as a hurt individual. He was seeking as the leader of a government who was establishing the lineage from one generation to another. That's why when Christians say the Bible never condemns the death penalty for criminals. I look at them and say, you don't read your Bible. The Bible clearly teaches that it's not my responsibility as an individual to go and to take someone's life because I have wronged them or they have wronged me. But if the government has established crimes that deserve a certain punishment according to the Word of God, then it should be carried out. You say, well, Jake, I don't agree with you. Well, that's right. I'm getting ready to show you that you are wrong. But God's Word is right. And so when we come to verses 2 of the second chapter, verses 5 through 12, remember verses 1 through 4 were all about David giving instruction to Solomon. And I won't read those tonight for the sake of time because some of you have heard me talk all day at this point. But he talked about judgment and testimony and how to prosper and how to be blessed and how David was telling Solomon, if you will do things God's way, he will open up the windows of heaven and bless you. Everywhere you go, everywhere you turn, all the things that you do, you will find God's favor. And I don't know about you, but I've lived long enough to know now that if I've got God's favor, I need nothing else. Wow. Guess I'm the only... Now, some of you get a pass because you've been here all afternoon, all right? But that should have started you thinking a little bit more. If you've got God's favor and blessing on your life, you don't need anything else. And if you don't have God's favor and blessing, it's like spinning your wheels. Nothing can be accomplished. And so when we hear these words given to an individual, we should take notice of how can I apply that to my life? How can I apply that to my family? For us as a church, how can we apply that where God's favor and blessing is on what we do and how we're dealing with people? And so I want you to go to verse 12 of this chapter because I want you to see the end result before we look at what God told David to tell Solomon. Look at verse 12 of chapter 2. Then Solomon sat on the throne of his father David, and the kingdom was firmly established. If you're the ruler of a kingdom, what more would you want? That my throne is secure. My rule is secure. You say, Jake, I'm not a king. Well, I don't know if you know this, but if you're a spouse, you like to think that your marriage is on a firm foundation. You like to think that the children and grandchildren you are pouring into have a foundation that is what? Firmly established. As a church, we like to think that God has blessed us and that through the ups and downs we are firmly established on His Word. And so what we see here is this is what God will do. This is how God can bless. This is how God can establish if you'll just do it His way. And tonight I challenge you with that. Are you willing to trust that God can establish you as a family, as an individual, as us as a church, if we'll just do it His way? I have one in my front yard. Many of you have probably seen these before. They're stones or they're wood things that people got married. It says established whatever the year you got married, right? I don't know if you know that. That's an important date, but I would like for that to continue. I don't just want our marriage to start... I want it to continue. This church was established or founded in 1820. That's a wonderful date. But I don't worry so much about when it was founded, but I want it to be faithful when the Lord returns. My children, they were born in 2011, 13, 15, 16, 18, and 20. I can't tell you what days or months right now, but I can tell you. And those were special days for us. But what I can tell you even more special were the dates they got saved. Their physical birth was wonderful, but their spiritual birth, that established, that gave them the right to live with the Lord and us forever. And so tonight I challenge you not to look at how you've started your life, how you've started your marriage, how this church has been, but what does it look like going forward? Because God's going to ask us to do some things that the world doesn't like, that other people aren't going to like. Today I just want to say how blessed I am to be your pastor. Some of you have worked here all day, you have um, ministered to the families in need, you've taken food to the families who have been through difficulties and trials and and challenges lately. And I I want you to know that's not the normal. I went and visited a family on, um, oh what is today, today's Sunday. And so uh, Friday I went to a funeral and a family lives a little bit away from here and And uh, they weren't able to drive here to church. And the gentleman said to me, he said, I've just never been a part of a church quite like it. And now you know me. I was like, well, I know it wasn't the preaching. And he's like, no, it wasn't the preaching. I said, well, it might have been the singing. Jamie does a pretty good job. Yeah, the singing was all right, but that's not what I'm talking about. He said, I just can't believe how kind people were to us when we were there. How much people went out of their way to show us that we mattered. And friends, that's not the normal. And that's you making those decisions to go above and beyond to love people. And so tonight I challenge you with what comes next for us. If you would pray with me, and we'll jump right in. Father, tonight we thank you for your word. We thank you for the challenging passages. We thank you for the simple passages. We are thankful for your word. And tonight, Lord, we pray for wisdom and clarity and understanding, Lord, that we might honor you. Lord, knowing that if you choose to bless us, if you choose to favor us, Lord, we will see amazing things happen that glorify you. And Lord, that's what I want to be a part of, watching you work. And so Lord, I pray tonight that you'd forgive me of any sin in my life that would hinder or grieve or quench what your spirit is trying to do. And I ask it in Jesus' precious name, amen. If you're taking notes tonight, the first thing I'd like for you to write down, if you would, is the importance of godly leadership. The importance of godly leadership. You say, well, we've been looking at that. Well, yes, but the godly leadership we've been looking at so far has not really been that difficult. David had to make a choice that he was going to let Solomon fulfill God's promises. Uh, Bathsheba, while, yes, she did go out on a limb, she already knew how David loved her, loved Solomon, and so she took a stand and it worked out. We know that David's other son, Adonijah, cut tail and run when he realized that the throne was not his. But tonight what we are going to see is David is telling Solomon to do something that is not going to be pleasant. It's not going to be fun. And so starting in verse 5, we see, Moreover, you also know what Joab, the son of Zariah, did to me. And what he did to the two commanders of the army of Israel, to Abner the son of Ner and Amasa the son of Jether, whom he killed. And he shed the blood of war in peacetime, and put the blood of war on his belt that was around his waist, and on his sandals that were on his feet. Therefore do according to your wisdom, and do not let his gray hair go down to the grave in peace. He says, when you take over, this individual needs to be punished and put to death for the crimes that they have committed. You say, well, why didn't David just do it? David's passing the buck to the next generation. No, David gave his word that he would not harm him. Because David knew that if he did it, it would be vengeance. That David would be retaliating for what had happened. You say, well, Jake, what did he do that was so wrong? Well, in 2 Samuel chapter 3, verses 27, if you have your copy of God's Word or it'll be on the screen behind me. It says, Now when Abner had returned to Hebron, Abner was trying to negotiate peace so that the nation of Israel would not tear itself apart in war. Joab took him aside in the gate to speak with him privately. Joab's brother had been killed in battle by Abner. Abner didn't want to kill him. Abner tried not to kill him, but it happened. And he sneakily tells him to come over here into this secret place And there stabbed him in the stomach, so that he died for the blood of Ashal, his brother. He murdered him in cold blood, but King David realized he needed a military commander to lead his army, so he gave him mercy. But yet, when his time had come to an end, he said, You cannot have someone like this in your government. You cannot have someone like this in your leadership. You cannot have someone like this influencing you that is a person of wickedness that a person of mischief, that is a person that is not trustworthy. You say, well, Jake, why would he punish him with death? I'm glad that you asked. In Deuteronomy, the 19th chapter, starting in verse 11, the Word of God says this, But if anyone hates his neighbor, lies in wait for him, rises against him, and strikes him mortally, so that he dies, and he flees to one of these cities. Verse 12... Then the elders of the city shall send and bring him from there and deliver him over to the hand of the avenger of blood that he may die. And your eyes shall not pity him, but you shall put away the guilt of innocent blood for Israel that it may go well with you. You say, well, this is vengeance. No, this is the government operating in its God-ordained right. Now, don't miss the significance of this. God says if you don't do it this way, it won't go well for you. If you allow the shedding of innocent blood in your nation, it will fall apart. Why? Because God is the giver of life. And taking life is a big deal. That is why I believe God has turned His back on America. I'm not saying totally, I'm not saying completely, I'm not saying he won't show his favor again, but you cannot murder 60 million unborn children with no consequences. It's not political. It's not a political issue. It is a God issue when you allow the shedding of, un- of innocent blood to no avail. You teach a whole generation of people that lives do not matter. Why is it in the city of Chicago that leads America in murders? You say, well, that can't go on. Well, that's just because you're political and you don't like the politics in Chicago. Absolutely. But it's not why I believe that. It is because what God says is when you let people take the lives of other people and there are no consequences, innocent life no longer matters. And God says it will not go well for you. This is not just a God blessing or threat. This is just common sense. If you let your child be mean to another child and don't discipline them, they will continue to be mean to that child. If you pick them up, spank them with a rod, a switch, a belt, of some kind of device, the Bible says, spare the rod, hate the child, then you will teach them, you better be thinking twice before you hurt your sibling. Why? Because that life matters. That person matters. And tonight when we look at this, we need to know that David is saying, if you want a nation that's going to follow God, that's going to obey the law, that's going to take serious the fact that God has put you together, you need to punish sin. And tonight that's really important because that's not what you hear from most people. But yet what we see here is David says to Solomon, a nation that is lawless will destroy itself. And friends, we're watching it today. We're watching cities like Portland and other big cities in San Francisco where businesses cannot even stay open because people are being robbed and murdered right there in the store. You say, Jake, it's political. You shouldn't wade into that. It's not. God says when you value life, when you value another person, when you value the blessings that God has given them, and you respect that, it will go well. God gave us the blueprint for not only our life, our marriage, our nation. Same way at home. You have to be willing to forgive and to love and to have these kind of things in a marriage. For instance, if I decide every Friday that I... No, I don't love my wife. I think I'll find a different woman this week, and a different woman next week, and a different. If you're saying, Jake, you're way too ugly to find that many women. I get it. All right, it's an example. After a while, she's going to realize that I don't really love her. I don't really care about her. It doesn't matter how many times I say I'm sorry. That's not a mistake. That's a habit. That's a lifestyle. And what God is trying to teach here is this is not about vengeance. It's about showing a nation that life matters. As God's people, we must show a lost and dying world that life matters, not just in the womb, but for young children, for how we care for the elderly. Last Sunday after church, you're familiar with this, that our young uh, people took gifts that they made to the nursing home. Why? To show those men and women that they still matter, that they've not been forgotten, that while society might say you can't contribute a lot anymore, while some families might not visit and care for them like they should, and many others do, it reminds them that life matters from conception to natural death. And God's people, we should stand for that. But on the flip side of that, look at what happens to someone who was kind to David, who was kind to be the kind of person God wanted them to be. In verse 7, But show kindness to the sons of Barzillia, the Giladite, and let them be among those who eat at your table. For so they came to me when I fled from Absalom, your brother. If you remember King David's son, Absalom tried to steal the throne. Ran him out of town. David fled for his life. And this individual in that time of need could have said, I'm going to side with the most powerful ruler. I'm going to side with the son that's a rebellion. I'm going to side with the son who has Jerusalem. But he says, no, this individual did what was right. He was willing to sacrifice what he had at great personal cost to do the right thing. You see, David was teaching him to punish unrighteousness and to reward integrity. Just imagine what things would be like if we rewarded integrity in the workplace, integrity at home, integrity in government. If people recognize that you didn't get elected by what you could promise, but by the character of a man or woman. Listen to what it says here, talking about what this man did for King David in verse 8. And see, you have with you Shimei, the son of Jerah, the Benjamite from Baharin. Whoa, that's not the right one. Do you have 2 Samuel up there, verse 17? Or did I mess that up? I got fat fingers. They don't always work on the computer. 2 Samuel chapter 17, verse 27 through 29. There it is. There it is. Go up two more if you would. Verse 27. All right. Now what happened? All right. Forget what I just said. Not all of it. Just the last minute. Now what happened when David had come to Mahaniam that Shobai, the son of Nahash from Rabah of the people of Ammon, Micar the son of Emil from Lodabar, and Barzillia, there's that name, the Gileadite from Rogalim. Now listen to what he did. Brought beds and bathins, earthly vessels and wheat, barley and flour, parched grain and beans, lentils and parched seeds, honey and curds, sheep and cheese of a herd from David and the people who were with him to eat. For they said that people are hungry and weary and thirsty in the wilderness. He says that man's sons should always be rewarded for their loyalty, for their integrity, for their desire to sacrifice what they had in a time of need. You see, David's not playing favorites like we do. He's trying to establish what the government should look like, what a nation should look like, what a home should look like. What a church should look like. What a family should look like. But it goes on and says he's to be kind to this person. He's to punish this person. So what comes next? And see, you have with you Shimei, the son of Gera, the Benjamite from Behurim, who cursed me with a malicious curse in the day when I went to Mahaniam. But he came down to meet me at the Jordan, and I swore by the Lord, saying, I will not put you to death with a sword. Now, therefore, do not hold him guiltless, for you are a wise man. And know that you ought to do to him, but bring his gray hair down to the grave with blood. There again, those people would say, this is awful, this is vengeance, this is terrible. No, David is telling him, if you want a kingdom built on honor, a kingdom built on integrity, a kingdom that values life and cursing before God matters... This man must be punished. Now you say, Jake, that seems like a very severe act. And we're not going to read the whole story, but if you want to, you can find it in 2 Samuel chapter 16, in verses 5 through 13. When King David was at his lowest, this man, claiming to speak for God, cursed him. Cursed David, his family, that he had brought this on himself, that he deserved what was coming to him, that God was punishing him. Tonight I would caution you when you speak for the Lord. When you claim to tell someone the Lord did this because of this or did that because of that, because friends, you might be bringing that same judgment on yourself. In Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 28, the Bible gives us the instruction on how this should be dealt with. In Exodus chapter 22, verse 28, it says, You shall not revile God nor curse a ruler of your people. You say, well dang it, every time I talk about President Biden that was cursing him. No. Now you shouldn't if you can keep from it, please. But that's not what he's talking about here. He is saying when you claim to speak for God and you claim that you can bring the judgment of God down on someone else, he said you should be put to death for that. You say, why? Because when you speak for God, it matters. When you say, thus saith the Lord it matters friends that's why when you watch television preachers or you go to a meeting and someone tells you I've got a special word from the Lord or the Lord has told me something on top of what the word of God says you step back you run from that because friends they could be lying to you they could be bringing the judgment of God on them and you That is why when we study the Word of God, here we go verse by verse, word by word, line by line, because it promises to change lives. It promises to never return void. And so what happened here is God says to Solomon through King David, this individual has to be punished. You say, but why does this matter? Well, This is why. Because if you're going to be a kingdom like Israel and you're going to be a theocracy with a king who represents the Lord, who honors the Lord, who follows the Lord. If someone is speaking for God in the wrong way, it can make things bad in a hurry. Same way in a church when a Sunday school teacher or a pastor begins to teach things contrary to the word of God. Contrary to what God's word says, you say, well, it's not that big of a deal. No, it is a big deal because it's leading you astray. It's leading you from the blessings of God to the judgment of God the favor of God to the discipline of God. And so what he says here is, you punish the one who makes life not matter, and you punish the one who means speaking for God falsely not matter, and you reward the one who lives loyalty and integrity. You start saying, well, Jake, if our government ran this way, how different would things be? If your place of employment ran this way, how differently that would be? But for most of us, those are both above our pay grades. But what I can make sure is that my house is run this way. That my children know that their siblings are created in the image of God, and they matter. They should know that integrity and kindness to one another is an example of godly living. They should know that loving God with all their heart and not reviling or cursing Him matters. Honestly, when you think about this, it can all be summed up in two commands, right? Love the Lord your God and love others as yourself. We see these biblical teachings, but in practical ways. Now let's go on tonight and look at these last things and I'll be done. I told Jamie I was going to be short, but I lied. I'm sorry. In verses 10 through 12, we see another truth tonight, and that is this. The second point, if you're taking notes tonight, is that's not... There it is. It's my fault, Tyler. I got you all messed up up there. God establishing a home or a nation. Look what it says here in verses 10 through 12. So David rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. The period that David reigned over Israel was 40 years. Seven years he reigned in Hebron. And in Jerusalem he reigned 33 years. Then Solomon sat on the throne of his father David, and his kingdom was firmly established. Now this matters tonight because most of us hope that our families, that our lives will mean something even after we're gone. That the time and effort that we pour into raising our children, that when we leave this world they will continue to follow the things of God. As a pastor, I hope that the years that I spend here, however long that may be, that when God calls me home and if the rapture happens, I'm not worried about what this place is like. It's not not a big deal. But if it's still a church, that it has been a time where I have been able to minister to you where you can continue to grow, continue to thrive, and continue to be blessed. And what we see here is that God is showing us that His blessings can endure past a generation. Past one individual. How many times have you seen it when a family loses the patriarch or the matriarch and the family falls apart? Or how many times have we seen it when a business loses a CEO, somebody that founded the company, and after they're gone, it all falls apart? Why? Because those blessings are built on a person and not the power of God. And tonight, I don't know if you know this or not, but if you don't build upon the power of God in your life, it isn't going to last. You say, Jake, you're teaching us things that we've never heard before. Well, Jesus said, right? Store up your treasures in heaven where rust and moth cannot destroy them. The kid song, if you remember, the rain came down, the waves came up. If you build upon the sand, your house will fall. But if you build upon the rock... Why, those are not just New Testament principles. We're seeing that in the Old Testament. But what we don't see so many times in the New Testament that we overlook is that God requires things of us. When God builds a family, He requires us to do our part. It's my job to teach my daughters how that they should be loved. It is my wife's job to teach them how they are to respect and submit to their husband. You say, well, we're not going to do that. We're not going to live that way. Look up here then. You reap what you And if you're lucky enough not to reap what you sow, it's because God is good and merciful. But what God asks of us is to do our part. That's why we've seen in the parable of the soil, it's not our job to prepare the soil. It's not even our job to find out where it falls. It's our job to spread the seed. And so tonight, when we look at this, I want to challenge you to remember this simple truth. That when God gives instructions, listen. When God gives us an opportunity, we should listen. One last example that's probably going to be the most controversial, and that'll be fine. It is our job as a church to love the refugee. It's our job to love those who come to our country looking for asylum. It's not the government's job. It's the government's job to defend our country, to defend the laws of our nation. And so when people say, well, it's the government's job to let everyone come, it's not. It's the government's job to let the prescribed amount of people come that is given in the law and then to secure the border at whatever means necessary. Oh, I can't believe you just said that. What I said was it's not my job to secure the border. It's not my job to go down there and stand in the gap. It's my job to love people and to vote for people who would do the right thing. But it's the government's job to do what? To defend this nation from all enemies, foreign and domestic. You say, oh, Jake, that's political. It's not. God gives instructions to individuals. He gives instructions to families. He gives instructions to government. And if you want to know the role of government, you can read it in Romans 13, verses 1 through 7. But I have no more wind left in me. And God's people said amen. No, but tonight I want to challenge you because if you do not read the God's word in its entirety, you're going to get all bent out of shape. You're going to try to apply basic principles that God's given you to the government. Or you're going to try to apply the government's specific instructions to you. And what happens is we do not divide the word of God rightfully. The Bible says that we are to believe that all scripture is inspired, inerrant, infallible. That it's profitable for the man of God. And so tonight I want to challenge you to really know what you believe and why. To know what God wants for you and why. And today I thought it was a wonderful testimony uh, at the passing of Miss Wilma when her kids were able to get up and listen to the other kids give stories about their mom's faith and the establishing of their home and what she did to take care of them and how she made sure that they were in church. That they All of these things that you, we take for granted now. But that laid the foundation for a family to survive the passing of a loved one. The principles, the foundation that was laid can endure through the generations. That should be our desire. And so as I was thinking about this sermon tonight, I thought, well, how fitting is that? That the greatest gift that we can hope for is that our faith endureth past our generation. I was out in the cemetery today and I was looking at different people who had went to church here over the years and so many people who had laid a foundation, so many people that many of you can remember from years ago and how they influenced this church. And I want to remind you that one of these days, if God tarries, there are going to be some young people now that are saying the same thing about you. Do you, do you remember when, when I was in the second grade Sunday school class and, and that person was my teacher? And they're the one that led me to the Lord. Do you remember at Vacation Bible School back when, when I didn't want to be there but my favorite part was craft and the teacher that showed me mercy and, and grace during craft time. Man, how much of a difference that made in my life. I don't know if you noticed this tonight uh, this morning but we were blessed in the first service. If you weren't here today in the first service Brother Tom Jamerson was, was here today and uh, we're so thankful for that. And then in the second service if you weren't here Brandon and Tyler were here and and it was just a wonderful testimony of God's goodness and blessing and favor. And I hope that you realize that Brandon and Tyler are young men. But one day if the Lord tarries, they're going to be looking like you maybe here on a Sunday night. And they might just be saying, do you remember how that family blessed us Or, or what this person taught us or what our parents told us, what our grandparents told us. And friends, that's when we know that we've done it God's way. When our faith endureth past a generation. One of my favorite things about church. you guys, Are you ever going to stop at some point? Is to look up in the choir. And I appreciate the old people in the choir. I really do. I appreciate it. But I tell you what I really like singing in the choir is kids. I love seeing young people sing in the choir. Why? Because we're teaching them that it matters. We're teaching them that singing the praise of the Lord matters. It's teaching them not to be ashamed, to stand up in front of some people that don't look very friendly sometimes and look out and be like, oh boy, I don't think most of these people want to be here. And to sing about the Lord. You say, well, I don't sing good. I don't care. Get up there and say watermelon. We should be showing young people that it matters. And so it blesses my soul. It blesses my soul when I see pictures from One Starry Night Cleanup and there are young kids there because one of these days when they're old and grouchy like us, they're going to be able to say, hey, do you remember so-and-so? Man, they let me do this or I got to do that with them. And the difference it will make in their faith. And so tonight I challenge you parents, Grandparents, if you don't have any kids or grandkids here, when young people are around, be the influence that God can use to establish them and their families for generations to come. But it all starts with Jesus. It's not about us. It's about making much of Him. And so tonight, if you're here, I want to encourage you to love Him first. And if you don't know him, know that he died upon the cross for your sins, that he loves you, that he was buried, that he rose again. And he'll save you. He will put your feet on that firm foundation. But never forget, once God saves you, he puts you on mission. He gives you a task to accomplish. And may God help us to be faithful as we go. Father, tonight I thank you for your word. Lord, I know it's not popular. I know it's not pleasing to many, many people but Lord, it's truth. And so tonight, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to stand upon your word. Lord, for our family's sake, for this church's sake, for Lord, bringing you glory and honor in all things. Lord, we know that you don't need us, that you could work without us, but you've chosen to work through your people. And so Lord, tonight, help us to be faithful. Lord, help us to be obedient. Lord, help us to be thankful. And so tonight, Lord, for anyone in this place that doesn't know you, I pray that you deal with them. But Lord, anyone tonight that's been faced with difficulties, challenges, or tough decisions, I pray that you give them wisdom to know what to do to find your favor and blessing in their life. And Lord, I ask it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.